0: Hello, and welcome to the Sawyer Seminar Bites podcast, hosted by the Boston University Center on Forced Displacement. This podcast showcases talks hosted by our Sawyer Seminar series on border regimes, a grant generously funded by the Mellon Foundation. My name is Chandra Bak, the podcast director here at the Center, and today we will be listening to a segment of the February Sawyer Seminar. In this episode, we will listen to a talk given by Professor Jeff Rubin, entitled, ideas and practices for less violent and more porous borders.
1: Thank you for having me here. Thank you for creating this location for all of you who have created it. I look forward to the discussions. So I'm coming out things a bit differently now, and I just I'm very cognizant of the uh, the tension or the, the, the discord uh, potentially between what I'll be talking about and what we've heard. So I've been thinking uh, for a while about a project that's taking shape now. We don't quite have a title yet. I came up with the title of Less Violent and More Porous Borders, Ideas and Practices, uh, Reforming Borders, Opening Borders. We're working on that. I'm directing it together with Kaya Shilda in ongoing collaboration with Elizabeth M. Ryan and with the participation of many people in this room. The project's just beginning, and we really welcome ideas and suggestions. So if, to hear, if after hearing this presentation, you have thoughts about how we might proceed, please get in touch with me or Kai or Elizabeth. I'm gonna say a bit about how the idea for the project developed and what we're hoping to do, at least as we envision it right now, and this is information. Uh, for the past 25 years, I've been teaching a course called US-Mexican Borders. The course begins by looking at the physical border historically, and proceeds as it moves toward the present to expand both the geographical border and the notion of what and where borders are in both the US and Mexico and in recent years in Central America. One thing that's become clear to me as I've developed this course, become clear over time, is that we've come to have a great deal of material, written material, visual material, testimonies, that illustrate the difficulties, pains, and horrors of deciding to leave Central America or Mexico, of journeying across Mexico and of crossing the border and then trying to survive in the US. This wasn't always the case. There wasn't always so much material. It's the heroic work and scholarship and activism of many people that has made that so clear. These horrors are clear to academic audiences as well as in some locations in the media and politics among more or less liberal and left publics. And the focus and theorization about externalization here sort of adds to that and deepens and takes in another direction, lets us see other aspects of those horrors. What I found, however, is that after people note the horrors happening at the border and say that these need to be changed, what follows is very limited. Academics tend to look toward what it might mean to think beyond borders, of a world of open borders and different understandings of citizenship and its relationship to race, gender, sexuality and violence. And I want to say as clearly as I can uh, from the outset that I am deeply respectful of and engaged with that kind of work. It's one of the things I do want so much to be part of. It's essential part of my teaching, helping students, encouraging them from within their own research and that of others to think about uh, other futures, other ways of being. So I'm not in any way discounting or putting aside that and what I'm gonna say next. Non-academics, friends, other people I've talked to tend to shrug and say, after recognizing the horrors, tend to shrug in some way and say, but there needs to be a border, which functions as a sort of conversation stopper, or a retreat into any number of assumed truisms regarding legality or economy or culture, along with the assumption that some kind of national legal and political solution needs to be found, however unlikely. What I, this is my personal take, take there needs to be a border to mean when pushed to its logical conclusion, here I'm being a bit facetious, is this, that a more compassionate U.S. would set up the equivalent of a network of comfortable hotels, daycare centers, and health clinics along the border so that migrants who reach the border could live in comfort and security, with 95 or 95 percent of them then being sent back to where they came from to be, or put on impossibly long waiting lists. In other words, what are, what are people, what are we and what are people thinking when they simultaneously say, this is awful and needs to be changed. There needs to be a border. We can't have children in cages at the border. What comes next? So this project, the one we're beginning here, is about how we, migrants, activists, policymakers, academics, citizens, teachers, caregivers, might begin to fill this empty, not really, but seemingly empty political and imaginative space. How might we publicize in the case of practices that exist or develop discussion among ourselves and with others how might we publicize or develop alternatives that are or might conceivably function in the world as it is now or as it might be in the foreseeable future for complicated categories what are our experiments in different border and migration practices that are happening what do they look like or what might they look like now what would be words for this and here uh, is it, one of the places of, my, of complexity. Practical is one word, practical alternatives, but I worry that the connotation of that is one of limits of accommodation to the status quo. Though practical need not mean that. Think perhaps of John Dewey's pragmatism. Workable, unconventional economist Albert Hirschman spoke of and embodied a passion for the possible," that's a quote, based on the belief that what is possible changes and is created. I'm not necessarily comfortable with any of these words, and and particularly, I don't want to, well, I'll get to this. Another word that comes to mind is reform, and I'd like to talk about that for a moment since it gets at the idea of what I'm thinking of, even if we choose not to use the word itself. A few years ago, I co-directed with Vivian Bennett a three-country, five-case project called Enduring Reform. The project was about private sector responses to working examples of progressive civil society-based reform. I'll return to the business part of this in a moment, but I'd like to elaborate a bit on what we meant by reform. because we really struggled over that. We used the phrase significant reform. We meant things that the group of us involved in the project or hypothetical others would agree were not on the one hand band-aids, small changes that served obviously to uphold the status quo, or on the other, transformative or revolutionary changes that we might speak for or like to envision, but they were unlikely to happen in a short-term or foreseeable way. And again, I don't wanna foreclose thinking our activism toward transformative or revolutionary changes. By significant reform, we came to mean locations of change that took up residence within, but ran by different logics and principles, from the environment in which they were embedded. Examples of what we meant in that research project included worker-run factories in Argentina, participatory budgeting neighborhood practices in Brazilian cities, and indigenous self-reliance networks in San Cristóbal de las Casas, Mexico. Just to give one example, a worker-run factory was seized from the owners. Political activism got that seizure to be legally recognized. They were run non-hierarchically by workers themselves, but they functioned within and sought to function within the existing market system, whatever their long-term goals Uh, They wanted to buy and sell successfully so as to support the workers in the factory. So the idea of, of calling this a significant reform was that something significantly different was happening again we could discuss is it different enough what does difference mean and i do note that in the context of externalization regimes that are noticing that some things that look like reforms are actually externalizations that complicates the sanctuary cities or other things people mentioned that complicates it even more but but i'm, I'm proposing that we need to and want to think about a category that has that meaning even if we call it something different so the idea of the borders project whatever we call it is first to find examine and publicize working examples of alternatives or experiments that promote less violent and more porous borders in a practical or pragmatic or passionately possible or significantly reformist way. And also collaboratively to imagine and outline other alternative policies or practices that could do so if the conditions for them could be fostered. So it's finding what's out there and imagining what could conceivably be out there. The first stage of the project has involved looking for existing alternatives, and this has brought many fewer examples than I'd initially expected and hoped for, and that might mean I'm not looking in the right places. I've talked to a lot of people in this room and elsewhere, including academics, activists, and artists. I've encountered immediate understanding of and interest in the project, but very few examples of practical reforms, if I may use those words for a moment, either in the world or in people's scholarly, artistic or artistic imaginations. Tiana Kupik, in the back of the room, who has been a research assistant for the project, has had a similar experience in doing bibliographic searches. And when Kaya and I spoke with Alex Rivera, a filmmaker, and 2022 MacArthur grant recipient, he also had a lot of enthusiasm and few specific suggestions of where to look. So we wanna brainstorm together to find out what is out there, to imagine new projects or practices and to publicize this realm of the possible. So let me just give you some examples of the kinds of things we have found or actively imagining. The best example of exactly the kind of program we're talking about is the one that Susan Akram at BU Law School and Dorothy Estrada Tank from the University of Murcia in Spain have been working on, and which they presented at the first meeting of our workshop. And I'm not gonna, you, you can correct any missummaries summaries, but the project involves an on the ground working effort to bring refugees to rural cities in Spain that need people or want people, focusing on how specific aspects of social community and economic life can function to incorporate and meet the needs of both migrants and the receiving communities. Again, apologies if that's not entirely accurate. The idea is this is a place where something is happening, where people are being brought in a way that will make a big difference to themselves and perhaps create a model, a logic, that is different within a broader system. And then in the interest of time, I'll mention very briefly some of the others. I just want to, just to explain that there are possible categories. Another example might be humanitarian corridors of the sort mentioned by David uh, Suleski. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, uh, at, our, at our meeting where non-state groups, often religious groups design new pathways of transfer and hosting that assure relative speed and safety outside of regular state channels. Where are those happening? You can find some on the web that's interesting information. Where and, and what might that signify? Angel Cabrera, who uh, was here but might not be now, uh, suggested to me a possibility, not an actually existing thing, of legal strategies to hold corporations responsible for For environmental harms in Central America. In the event of findings of harm, restitution might involve both financial transfers and access to residency in the US. That's hypothetical, but one could imagine the pieces happening. Uh, Emma Sokoloff Rubin, my daughter, who runs the Urban Law Clinic at Yale Law School, suggested thinking about what sanctuary cities do and how this might expand. This would bring its own Uh, Obstacles and oppositions, but imagine a growing network of locations, small and large, that acted to change rules of policing, education, and healthcare, and the provision of documents like driver's licenses. Is that uh, what might that add up to? I myself have been thinking about circular migration, in which decisions about movement over the course of a lifetime would be made by migrants themselves. This was inspired by Alex Rivera's documentary, The Sixth Section, which details the circular migration patterns of migration and financial transfer. And I'm not going to go over the rest of what I said, but there's a lot of evidence that if the border wasn't as fixed as it was, a lot of people would choose to move back and forth, not weekly, but at different stages of their life when their kids are a certain age, uh, at certain patterns in people's work lives, that that opens up. So, So what would an experiment in enabling that kind of movement mean? Uh, And finally, in another example, uh, Nora Lurie and Kaya Shielda have observed two things about the private sector, mixed in with what you've observed in a a different way today, that businesses are often often skilled at vetting and moving people, and that the private sector historically has not been uniformly, uniformly opposed to immigration. And here I'd circle back to my Enduring Reform project and book, in which we found that in rapidly changing current circumstances, The responses of business people to progressive reform could not be predicted by conventional understandings of economic interest, but rather depended on cultural representations timing and context, so we might take from Nora's and Kaya's observations, uh, together with my work that the private sector could be A partner in innovative border openings so those are what's come out of conversations i don't want to privilege those there might be reasons one or the other of those are are implausible but that's what we're trying to brainstorm about and invite uh more uh more more comment on and then think together about how we might it's essentially how to answer the question to, to prevent the shrug yes this is horrible what can we do well look at this look at this look at this this is working here this is working here might that provide a different way forward. Thank you.
0: For more information on the Sawyer Seminar series on border regimes and for upcoming events, go check out the Sawyer Seminar website linked in the description. This Sawyer Seminar series is made possible with funding support from the Mellon Foundation. This podcast is produced by Boston University's Center on Forced Displacement in collaboration with all members of the team.